time for the Blind Broadcaster Podcast presented by the Luther King Broadcast Network. Each episode, Luther King sits down with fellow broadcasters to get their insight into their passion for broadcasting and discuss their career journey. Blind from birth, Luther King has never let that stop him from attaining his goal on becoming a blind broadcaster. And now, here's the blind broadcaster himself, Luther King. Welcome to exciting episode of the Morning Broadcaster Podcast, a proud entity of the Luther King Broadcast Network. If you'd like to get in touch with me, you can by emailing me at luther.king.tsb at gmail.com, Twitter at king underscore tsb, and on Instagram, lking.cardinalsfan85. And you can look up the page, Facebook pages, the Blind Broadcaster Podcast Facebook page, and the Luther King Broadcast Network page, both on Facebook for more information about the podcast and network. Guest for this week is the voice of the Bulls, longtime TV and radio voice of the Rafters, Chuck Swarovski. Mr. Skorsky, first off, thank you for the time. And when did you know that you wanted to do broadcasting for you? Well, Luther, number one, good to uh, – I knew when I was just a, a little boy, seriously, a little boy at five years young, that I wanted to get in sports broadcasting. And I guess it's always been a passion of mine from the days of my youth. And um, it's been it's been joyful, to say the least. I've been truly blessed. For you, were there many opportunities for high school or high school broadcasts, or did you have to wait till you went into college to do broadcasting, or what all were you doing at a young age? That's a great question. And um, so when I was in the sixth grade, I I walked in to our city's radio station. I grew up in the Northwest in Bellevue, Washington. Bellevue's a big city now, but in those days it was just a almost a suburb of Seattle. Oh wow. And they had a radio station in a mall. It was an outdoor mall. <laughs> and there was a radio station and it had a glass encased wire machine. In those days there was no internet of course. And so people got their information off what they call the Associated Press. Mm-hmm. or United Press International Machines. And so it was in a glass case. And so people would be walking past stores. They'd see this radio station. And I just became a magnet to this information bank of scores and stories and news. And so one day I just walked in and I said, I want to work for it. And the receptionist said, how old are you? And I said, um, I just turned 12. And she goes, well, I think you have to be a little older. And then someone said, you know what? Maybe we can have polish, shoe, polish um, records. I probably ended up polishing shoes too. But um, <laughs> as it turns out, the sports director was very, very kind to me. His name was Bill O'Mara. And he let me on the air during some high school broadcasts. I kept score for him. And, um, you know what? That started it. So how long did it take you to work the UPI machine or what were the big takeaways from when you started at that strip mall type of radio station that you still use now, even though the machinery and everything else has changed? Yeah. Well, you know what? I mean, it was, uh, it was a fascinating time. I mean, it, it's so archaic today, Luther, where we have technology in our phone. We have all these social networking devices that we can learn information in a split second. And what's happened, obviously, now um, everyone is cutting back because 
all it takes really are just a couple of people to provide news. And there's really, I, my heart goes out, especially with the COVID situation, mm-hmm. to news gathering organizations who are cutting back because they just don't have the finances. But in those days, it was a wire machine. And you had reporters feeding news to the Associated Press, United Press International, local coverage of a local newspaper. National newspaper was non-existent. There was no USA Today. And so in my case, growing up in Seattle, we had three newspapers in our area. We had the Seattle Post-Intelligencer. That was the morning newspaper. The afternoon evening paper was the Seattle Times. Mm-hmm. And then we had a local paper in Bellevue called the Bellevue American. And so that's how I got my information. Um, I subscribed to a weekly sports publication called the Sporting News. I didn't really uh, start getting Sports Illustrated until later, but the Sporting News was awesome. And I learned of the Sporting News while attending a AAA baseball game in Seattle, they had the newspaper available to fans, and I picked one up, and I got hooked. And I remember my mom, I grew up in a single-parent home. My father died when I was a kid. Mm. And my mom paid a full-year subscription, and the newspaper would arrive weekly, usually on a Friday. It had a um, brown paper cover. And I couldn't wait for it to arrive. And unfortunately, now the Sporty News is really, it's online, but it's just not the same and will never be the same. And it went through a number of changes because of the financial situation of what we've seen evolve over the last 10 years or so, um, 10, 15 years. So that was about it. So when you got the rapper's job, before we get to that, when you were in college, what all did you learn, you know, prep-wise and broadcast, op- and how many broadcast opportunities were there, and how big was writing and things like that to what you still use now? Well, you know what? Um, I, I was able to go to Ohio University in Athens, Ohio. Beautiful campus, great professors. I can't say one negative thing about my alma mater. I'm proud to have gone there. People were outstanding, loved the countryside. I uh, was able to attain an internship uh, at NBC Radio in Cleveland and uh, did a lot of sports behind the scenes, wrote copy. Uh, On occasion, I would be sent out with a microphone just to get 20-second sound bites from athletes. Um, Met some outstanding people great people. And so that was a big break for me because I was able to network. So from there, I served a couple of glorified internships, one in Cleveland and one back home in Seattle. But my first real job was at WBNS in Columbus, Ohio, where I did a nightly sports talk show and um, really enjoyed it. I was only there for six months before I got a call out of nowhere to come to Chicago And I did that in 1979. So were you still doing the same talk show in Chicago? And how did that translate to you getting some NBA opportunities and then your big break with the Raptors? 
Well, you know, while I was doing my talk show in Chicago, um, I was asked to audition for the PA job with the Bulls. And so I went down to the old Chicago stadium. I went down there. I was very nervous, but I sat in front of a microphone and um, I did that uh, for three years. Um, but then I started getting into play-by-play for DePaul uh, and left the Bulls public address job right before Jordan arrived, of course. Mm-hmm. But nonetheless, I was um, the play-by-play announcer for DePaul. Love college ball. I went from WGN to WJR in Detroit to the play-by-play for Michigan basketball for four years. And then after the 1998 season, the Raptors um, offered me a job to do their radio play-by-play. And I was there for radio and television for 10 years before I joined the Bulls in 2008. How did you keep yourself mentally sharp knowing that you were doing both radio and TV but at that point, you were doing, you know, a radio broadcast with TV because you were simulcasting. That's correct. Um, you know, Luther, simulcast is very, very hard. Um, and I think it was really hard for my analysts, Leo Robinson, Jack Armstrong, who do a fabulous job for the Raptors to this day. But it was really hard on them. Um, you know, I, I, I pulled back a little bit with all the descriptive um, elements of a radio broadcast, um, because obviously on television, they don't, you know, need to say where the ball is and whatnot. Right. Uh, the score is the graphic box, but I had to, uh, because deep down inside Luther, I've always been a radio guy. I don't know where we're headed with radio in our business anymore. I don't know either, (laughs) but honestly, um, at that point in time, I just tried to serve two masters before the Raptors said, you know what, we got to split this up. And I know for you, that was a big blessing because you're like, finally, I can at least do at least one or the other. And did they give you the choice or did you just basically say, I want to just stick with radio because that's what, that's what I came to in the first place. No, you know what they, um, we, we sat down and I went to TV and uh, which was fine. But um, at the end of the day, you know, I mean, um, it worked out for everybody, and it worked out mostly for the viewers and for the listeners because it was really, really hard on them, I'm sure. So when you got the Bulls job, which has basically been radio, how awesome has it been to work with Bill Wellington, a former Bulls player, where you can get more of that insight? And how huge is it for you working with analysts? How big is it, even on the radio side, to set your analyst up so they can shine, so they can tell more of the story on how a play was supposed to work or why it did or why it didn't. Well, I mean, it was, um, it was an amazing experience. I mean, you know, the, the Raptors, NBA ball, I mean, covering Vince Carter, Tracy McGrady, Chris Bosh. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was, um, it was a 10 year run that, is near to my heart. The people with the Raptors organization, second to none, ranging from the ownership to management to coaches to players, everybody involved. It was it was first class, and it really shaped a lot of who I am uh, because of the kindness, moving to a different country, dealing with changes, 
But, you know, I look fondly on those 10 years. It was a very good period in my life. So how did you feel when you went back to the Bulls and doing the radio side, working with Bill Winnington, who has now been your cuddling analyst since you've been there for the last, what, 22 years now, if my math is right? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, I, 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 I've been with the Bulls for 12 years doing the play-by-play, and working with Bill is tremendous. He's um, got, obviously, a great feel for the game, and he brings not only insightful comments, but also he doesn't take himself seriously. And he's got a terrific personality, and he's got a sense of humor, and uh, he's a wonderful, wonderful person. What are the do's and don'ts you tell young broadcasters that, you know, send you their stuff? And what are you listening for with a critical ear as a lead play-by-play voice that you are listening for that you can pass on to them? Well, the first thing is they've got to be themselves. You know, we're all creatures of habit. We hear some people. We may want to incorporate some things. But at the end of the day, you got to be you. And so I always tell people wanting to get in the radio, television, women and men, just be you. Don't be somebody you're not. And then uh, I would do an incredible amount of reading to increase your vocabulary, to become a well-rounded individual, um, to prepare every game. It doesn't matter whether it's the first game of the season, the 44th game of the year, or a playoff game, the habits you develop today will carry over to tomorrow. And that's the thing that I try to stress, is you've got to work and work and work, and then you have to work again. How big for you is personality, trying to still have your polish as a broadcaster, but now with you know a lot of shift, seismic shifting with hiring people that want to hear a broadcast, but also kind of a podcast. But how do you, you know, stick to what you know that got you here? Well, I mean, consistency is very important. You know, Luther, at the end of the day, you always have to have a skill set. You know, your intentions can be great, but at the end of the day, you have to have a skill set. I mean, that, that basically is the bottom line. If you have a skill set and you have the right attitude, I mean, there's always going to be somebody better than you. There are tons of people better than I am, mm-hmm. but nobody will outwork me and nobody, nobody will treat people to a higher degree of respect than I will. I have no agendas whatsoever. I want the best for people. I, uh, I this is the way I am. This is the way I was raised. Mm-hmm. That I am completely oblivious to religion, sexual orientation, um, political affiliation, you know, race, color of skin. That to me is irrelevant. It really is. What's important to me is, are they a good person? Do they treat people with dignity? Um, Are they selfless? Do they come across as a sincere, honest individual? And can they walk that walk? 
because anyone can talk it. They got to walk it. Mm -hmm. And, but you also have to have a skill set. You can be the nicest person in the world, but if your skill set isn't at a level where people are going to say, okay, I think he can or she can handle this job at a high division one or division two or semi pro or pro or whatever, you know, you've got to work on your craft. And, so that's that's to me that's a long answer, Luther, and I apologize, but that's where I'm coming from. Oh no 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 no! I mean, it's podcast. We can go. I mean, you can go as long of an answer as you wish, because the way I like to refer to it is, you know, if you have a good family and everything that you do starts at home, everything, no matter how you slice it. How tough is it for you for your game prep? How big was it to learn that you don't have to try to fit everything in when you're doing a game broadcast? Well, that, that, again, you're asking really good questions, Luther. Um, so here's what I do. I go into a broadcast with tons of notes. Mm-hmm. I know that I'll probably only use maybe 10%, 15%. But that's okay because I know in my own heart that if something happens – and the 15th man on an NBA roster comes off the bench, I got to prepare like he is the star of the team. Mm-hmm. So I don't ever, ever undervalue or underestimate the importance of doing your due diligence on preparation, individuals. I don't care if a person just got picked up on a 10-day contract and he's not in uniform. I've got to do my homework. Mm-hmm. And um, because the day I stopped doing my homework, I might as well, you know, pull pull the tent and go home. And I'm not ready to do that by a long shot. What was it like covering the playoffs when you on the times you've actually covered the playoffs? And I know there's a little extra electricity for doing the playoffs, but how do you keep your emotions mentally in check, even though? Yeah, it's a playoff game. You're employed by a certain team. It's a best of, you know, best of seven. And you know there's a little bit of lo- a little extra in the air knowing that you're going to be pl- calling a playoff game. Well, to me, you know what, Luther? Um, I, I don't change at all from a playoff game to a regular season game. I mean, the stakes are higher. I get that. Sure. But to me, there is no difference. The way my approach, my passion, my focus, none. So, I mean, I love calling playoff games. Mm-hmm. I mean, the intensity is you know kicked up a notch. The fans are definitely more into it. But as far as I'm concerned as a broadcaster, no difference. Who have been your favorite players to cover and your favorite coaches to interview and chat with? And what do you feel like you've learned from players and coaches that you've covered that has carried into your broadcast? Well, by nature, by nature, let me tell you, I mean, the insecurities for all of us, broadcasters, players, coaches, extremely high. This is a very competitive, competitive business, period. Mm -hmm. Having said that, I, I never play favorites. I mean, some players are outgoing, some aren't. 
Some players um, know how to, you know, handle the media. Some, some, you know, just don't want to be bothered. Mm-hmm. I respect everyone. And if um, some players just don't feel like talking, I get it. No worries. I'm not judgmental. And you move on. So, storylines. When you do the research of storylines, how big is it for you to adapt, adjust, change when you've done all the game prep that you know and yet something else in the game is going to take you somewhere else, even though sometimes you know you might come back to the storyline that was in your game notes at the beginning? And how do you know what storylines to keep and which ones to just throw away that you may not need for now, but you know you will probably need it at some point? Well, you know, you're, and you're right again, Luther. I mean, you know, things can change. I mean, I remember, even though it was with a minute 40 left in the game, when Derek Rose went down with his ACL injury mm-hmm. in a playoff series against Philadelphia in game one, I mean, you know, that changed the whole narrative of the game with, you know, 90 seconds to go. And so it no longer became, hey, the Bulls won beating Philadelphia. It became what happened to Rose, the, you know, status of his availability, uh, the significance of his injury, what type of injury, how long is he going to be out? All those things Mm -hmm. go through my brain knowing that I'm not a doctor and I don't want to speculate on the air. I only can report what I see. Mm-hmm. So you've got to be prepared. But again, those are things that in the craft that you learn and you build on. How much is reporting a factor for you in your play-by-play call? Because you're doing a broadcast, but you also have to keep your eyes and your fingers and everything else on the pulse of the team you're covering plus everybody else in the league. And maybe there's something that comes across, you know, Twitter or how, or in your research that you may not have noticed, but it's important and vital to the actual game broadcast. Well, I mean, things are flowing. Things are very, very fluid, Luther. I mean, you know, sometimes during a game, for example, we'll read a tweet and I'll never go with that unless it's verified. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I mean, this is the nature of sports as we know it today. Yep. I mean, right now, the, the way I get most of my sports news, honestly, is on my phone on Twitter because <laughs> the reporters don't hold stories anymore. Back in the day, if you found out something was going on <coughs> and you were going to have a scoop, you kept it to yourself. You filed the story with the editor and mm-hmm. then you prayed that your competitor didn't you know, get it overnight so he could or she could write a story. So you race to the newspaper stand at 5 a.m. in the morning or 4.30 in the morning to get that newspaper. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, you just got to, for lack of a better word and cliche, you got to go with the flow. Yes, sir. How important is it as a broadcaster to have a good rapport with the officials that are calling that particular night's game, especially when it's important to you that you have to make sure that you're looking for their signals, but you also want to make sure that you're giving them the respect as well as calling the game without being a jerk about it. 
Well, listen, you know what? I have the utmost respect for officials. No question about it. Um, but if there is a call that they, you know, uh, incorrectly made, you got to you got to mention it, say it, and then you move on, period. Have there been calls for you that have been tough to call in your broadcasting career, but you know you had to make it? Uh, in terms of what? I mean, game, like, I don't know, maybe you feel you feel like you maybe have a story or maybe it's something that is either verified or vice versa. Like, how do you know that you have something, but it's already been verified by two or three different sources, but you're still unsure if it's accurate or not? Well, I mean, you have to, some of that is, is your own intuition, but I mean, it has to be confirmed. It has to be verified by reputable sources. You just can't go on the air if somebody tells you something, and you know that Luther as well as anyone. I mean, you just, you can't do it. You have to have confirmation of stories and that's what I try to do. But, you know, as a play-by-play guy, Luther, I'm really not into that stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. If I were a reporter, I'd probably be a little bit more, you know, uh, locked in. But as a play-by-play guy, that's that's not my thing. As a PXP voice, what is your particular game prep and interview prep before an actual game? And are you doing the pregame interview with the coach, or what's your normal game day preparation well, like before you go on the air? Well, I, I always watch the opposing team's previous three games just mm-hmm. to get a feel for their uh, rotations, lineups, who's hot, who's not, who's coming off the bench, um, you know, what plays they run after timeouts in crucial situations. Um, a lot of – I watch a lot of tape, a lot of tape. Um, and, you know, when you get to the arena, uh, you talk to players, coaches, media people, everything, and then that kind of, you know, then, then it's time to call the game. And who came up with the idea of the trivia thing of bull or no bull for the network? Just out of curiosity. I, I honestly, I don't know. Because <laughs> I thought that, would may, that might have been a, an idea that you may have came up with because I'm like, okay, that's something that normally doesn't happen on a radio broadcast with maybe – you know, like when you come on the air with like one of the trivia questions and maybe you and, you know, you'll pass something along to Bill and, you know, you and him will probably give an answer later in a particular game or or basically give something for, you know, your fans that are listening to the actual broadcast to think about and see if they can actually remember the answer to a particular question about the team that they cover. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, you know what? We've I, I probably got my hands full. Of stuff, so but that was a good question. What has been the joy for you to watch some of the world's greatest athletes on a hardwood, night in, night out, or on a football field that keeps 
you in love with what you do and keeps the passion for what you do at a high level? Well, I mean, number one, it's, it's a privilege and an honor to call an NBA game. And I don't take it for granted. I love it. It's, it's embedded in my soul. And, you know, Luther, um, if, if you don't have the passion and enthusiasm, it's going to show on the air. And I've never been one to go through the motions in my life. And I never will be. And the day that starts is the day I'm going to get out. But I love my job very, very much. I love uh, our co-workers with the Bulls. And um, I just can't wait to get back to work. Where do you think this is going to head? Because I know I've been seeing a lot of things on. I don't, I don't know, Luther. I don't think anyone knows. I mean, we're dealing with, with life issues now. Yes, we are. And I, I, I know people want to get back to playing sports. And sports is so important in our society. It really is. And we miss it very, very much. I miss what I do. Trust me, I do miss it very, very much. But the health and welfare of people supersedes anything regarding sports. So that's why we take one day at a time and uh, we go from there. And one last thing, because I know I, you, you gave me 20 minutes and we've gone way past right. that. And I am blessed that you gave me more than 20 that we're able to cover a whole lot. But I know that you always, if I remember correctly, in one of the podcasts I listened to when you were doing an interview, you always have written notes to the people that actually took the time out of their day. That's correct. When, when did that start for you and how has it evolved over the years in your career? And do you still get that from a lot of the people that have crossed your path, either a handwritten note or a quick email saying, thank you for the, you know, for the advice or vice versa. Yeah. Well, it started when I was a kid and it was really instilled in me by my mom and my grandmother. And so, you know, this is common courtesy, Luther. People need to return phone calls. People Thank need you. to return emails. People need to return handwritten notes. People need to be kinder. People need to be gentler. People need to be more gracious, more humble. Agreed. Um, and so, um, you know, if someone takes the time to write, that person who received a note or a letter um, should respond. And it may not be the response people want. You know, people are busy. I get that. People have a thousand things going on. Maybe a person's had a bad day. But that doesn't mean that they should blow off somebody who took the time to write them. It's an honor to receive an email or a letter. So I'm hoping that with our society and how we change it, that we can have more engagement with people. Do you think that's something that has been lost before this pandemic hit, do you feel like maybe broadcasting world or just as, you know, in general as a whole, that maybe we lost the basic fundamentals of what kindness and respect should be, but unfortunately, sadly, in this day and age, it's not? Absolutely. And I don't know where we're going to get that back or more importantly, how we're going to get it back, but it, it needs to start and it needs to start today. Because it's very, very, very important that we really, really, really take the time to uh, be patient, be kind, 
be accepting of one another. Even if we have difference of opinions, I get that. Uh, we're not cookie cutters. We're all wired differently, and mm-hmm. I respect that. But at the end of the day, you know what? Everyone needs a hug. Well, I'm, I'm saying that in a um, figurative you know, speaking, because right now with COVID, you don't want a hug. You just, no. You know, but uh, you know what I'm saying? Everyone needs to be appreciated. And I do have to thank you for, from time to time, I do see on your Twitter when you do, you know, quote the some Bible verses and some other things in your religious background and your faith. And I do have to thank you for that. How big has your faith been in your in this journey for you? Well, my faith is everything. I mean, a relationship with Jesus Christ is so important because, you know, at the end of the day, Luther, God's in control. Yes, I mean, he's given us free will. And I try and do my best. I'm flawed uh, as an individual, but God has picked me up. And, you know, without my Christian beliefs, I don't know where I would be. And, um, you know, every day is a blessing. You wake up and you try and honor and serve him to the best of your abilities. Uh, and But, you know, some, some days when you start asking questions and you're trying to figure things out and you're waiting for the Lord, to give you an answer, and that answer may never come. Mm-hmm. But you know that with faith and with hope that one day you'll be able to see when you look back how the Lord used you in a certain situation. As an old song that I remember hearing when we had that 9-11 thing, faith, hope, and love are the good things he gave us, and the greatest is love. But I wonder if at some point we're going to get back to that. Yeah. Well, I hope so. But Luther, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. No, thank you for the time. I know you have like 35 other things to do, and hopefully we can stay in touch. I look forward to hearing you know, more tips and advice on how I can improve on my work because my goal, I still have a goal that I want to be the first blind PXP voice. That's my dream. Yeah, good for you. Well, keep, keep grinding, my man, and be well. Now, thank you for thank you for the time. My thanks to the voice of the Bulls on radio, Chuck Swirsky, for being my guest on this episode of the Blind Broadcaster Podcast, a proud entity of the Luther King Broadcast Network. If you have suggestions or ideas to improve the podcast, email me at luther.king.tsb at gmail.com, Twitter at king underscore tsb, and on IG at lking.cardinalsfan85. Join me again next time for another exciting episode of the Blind Broadcaster Podcast, a proud entity of the Luther King Broadcast Network. You can check out the website, LutherKingBroadcastNetwork.com, Facebook pages, the Blind Broadcaster Podcast, Facebook page, and the Luther King Broadcast Network Facebook page for information about the podcast and the network. You've been listening to the Blind Broadcaster Podcast presented by the Luther King Broadcast Network. Each episode, Luther King sits down with fellow broadcasters to get their insight into their passion for broadcasting and discuss their career journey. Blind from birth, Luther King never let that stop him from attaining his goal of becoming a blind broadcaster. To find out more about the Blind Broadcaster Podcast presented by the Luther King Broadcast Network, search the Blind Broadcaster Podcast or Luther King Broadcast Network on social media or visit Luther King Broadcast Network. Network.com.